Hello and welcome to Casting Nets. I am one of your hosts, uh, Dave Rudot. I am joined today with Pastor Will Harley. That's me. And uh, we have a guest today, Pastor Mark Zarling. And that's him. That's him. He's on our screen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's actually Michael, not Mark. But oh, I'll, sorry. I'll, oh. Oh. I'll, yeah. I take... That's okay. If I ever want to get anything accomplished in the Wisconsin Senate, I just tell them it's M. Zarling, and hopefully they think it's Mark. <laughs> See, I can't do that. My last name, no one else shares my last name, and I don't carry weight like that in the in the Senate. Yeah, not even the Harley name carries any weight. You can even say you are related to the Harley of Harley yeah. and Davidson. It yeah. just doesn't. It doesn't carry much weight. They're just like, can you get me a motorcycle? <laughs> so we have a, a wonderful show today, Yeah. Yes, we do. We got some good stuff going on. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, um, some congregational mergers and congregational arrangements, and we are going to be talking with people who know how to do this better than we do. Yes. Uh, in this, this case, is, Mike. Yeah, in this case, Mike, yeah. Uh, this is actually kind of one of those things where I went to the multi-site conference four years ago and uh, was kind of excited about the possibilities of not just in our area, but just the idea of the future of our synod, one way of, of combining congregations so that one plus one equals three rather than one plus one equals one or one plus one equals zero. Uh, just one way of, of revitalizing the churches in our area so that the gospel ministry might um, continue. So before we begin with our topic, just a disclaimer. Uh, we are just three pastors having a conversation. We're inviting you in on this conversation, and uh, we're sharing you our thoughts. We hold ourselves to the Bible and the Lutheran confessions, but uh, um, they're not necessarily the opinions of our church churches or our church bodies. It's just three pastors having a conversation. You're welcome to join in that conversation. Uh, email us at castingnetspod at gmail.com, and you can also uh, talk to us on Facebook or in person at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Shirley or uh, St. John Lutheran Church in Maribel. Yeah, and and Michael, where are you now? I serve at Water of Life, a newly merged congregation since November of 2020. Uh, Water of Life is in two campuses, our Racine campus in West Racine and then our Caledonia campus on the north side of Racine. So I'm assuming here... I'm, I'm assuming yeah, so they can find you there. Years. What's that? I'm assuming they can find you there, and they can talk with you then they, in person. They can find me here. Uh, one of the two sites, one of the two campuses I'm around every Sunday at one of those campuses, exactly. All right. Do you have two campuses or more than two? We have two. Okay. So before we begin, <clears throat> and for those who have – Excuse me. Those who have listened to the show before, they, they're probably feeling a little bit off kilter because, um, we didn't have a dad joke, which I am not complaining about, but. You know what's faster, hot or cold? Hot is faster because you can catch a cold. <laughs> well, well, how about, I've got one for you. I have one for you guys. Uh-huh. Uh, so I have four daughters, ages six, 16 up to 25. Uh, I don't know if you guys have daughters, but the teenage years, uh, if you notice this, that girls in those teenage years especially do not like odd numbers. or They actually only like odd numbers. You know why? Why do they only like odd numbers? Because they are always saying as teen girls, I can't even. 
Jeez. This actually was funnier. Because <laughs> I have two girls. <laughs> you know, I had to build that one up. <laughs> uh, Mike is a, is a Star Wars fan. He has a nice Star Wars background. I know. Uh, you know, R2 is sh- short for R2-D2, and Chewie is short for Chewbacca. What is Luke short for? A stormtrooper. <laughs> That's a good one. There you go. And I do like your background. I, I think uh, the Millennium Falcon is far better than um, whatever they have that they travel <laughs> through in Star Trek. So Enterprise. Yeah. The Enterprise. only the only thing the only thing that I would I would say would top all of that is um, going to plaid. Oh, nice. <laughs> That is a good reference. Uh, Spaceballs. Spaceballs. There you go. (laughs) You didn't know the reference. Jeez. You're not a geek. (laughs) Well, so, you know, you guys were talking before we got on the air and started recording about the differences between Star Trek and Star Wars. And I would say that with Star Wars, there's actually action, whereas... Star, Star, Star Trek is usually just dialogue. If I want to fall asleep at night, I just put on the next generation and fall asleep to it because it's just talking. Yeah. And, uh. and, uh, my people know that I like Star Wars a little bit, seeing as how on Facebook, my house is called the, uh, Zarling Jedi Temple. <laughs> in the backyard, I've got a playground that I built. That's four playgrounds in one, and that's the Padawan Training Center. My wife's ringtone is the Imperial March. So there's a few Star Wars references. There in you my go. House. I like him. I like him. <laughs> this is good. Uh, Mike is actually a well, fellow podcaster. Before we get into our topic, uh, he he and uh, some other guys down there do a podcast called Thirsty. Right, Thirsty Podcast. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. Jeremy Lightning, he's one of our members and he's a youth minister at Shoreland Lutheran High School. And what we've been doing for the last year is just going through the gospel lesson and epistle lesson for the upcoming Sunday. And we just kind of do a Bible study and then we interview lay people, pastors, teachers, professors, missionaries, uh, get them on as guests like this, talk about their ministry for 20 minutes or so, and then get into the words so people kind of have a idea of what their pastor is going to be talking about in from the lectern in the pulpit. So they, they pretty much get all the cliff notes so they don't have to come and hear you speak. They don't have to hear the sermon because they got That's it all. That's right. We heard it That's already. Right. <laughs> oh, it sounded what? a lot better on Sunday, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> so where can they well, find I'll, where can they find this podcast? So the Thirsty Podcast is on the Raised with Jesus Network. You guys are on there too. And uh, so you can find that on Podbean and Stitcher and other kinds of podcasting apps. The Raised with Jesus so the, Podcast, you mean? The Raised with Jesus Podcast. The Thirsty episodes drop on Saturday mornings. Ooh, okay. Saturday nice. morning. <clears throat> and we're usually on Friday. so We're usually yeah. until your renovation yeah, and then we'll – well, it used to be on Friday. Now it's Thursdays. Yeah. But most people listen to us on Friday because they don't want to join live. We'll ask them questions. <laughs> so the um, – let's uh, move on to our topic for today.
So, so before we have an opportunity to, to jump on into the topic at hand, I think one of the questions that I have is, is maybe, um, to very briefly kind of detail for the listeners and the people who might not be in this, um, mindset, why we are talking about, um, mergers, dual parish. Why are we talking about a setup like this in, in, in Christendom at this point? Um, because I, I, unless you're in it, unless you're in a congregation that is dealing with a shortage of the pastor or have been calling and couldn't get one or are starting to shrink and you're not sure what you're going to be able to do, you probably haven't had these thoughts running through your head. So maybe, maybe we could walk through why or what leads congregations to these things, these choices. What do you think? I, I think there's a difference between a multi-site concept and a dual parish concept. And I think that would be my first question for Mike is walk us through what's the difference. Because in outlying areas of our synod, there have been a lot of dual parishes. Even here in uh, northeast Wisconsin, there are dual parishes. And that's been around for a long period of time. I know the history of my own congregation here, they've always been in a dual parish since the 1950s of some sort. It was only recently that they're all on their own. So, Mike, could you uh, answer that question for us? Right. I can do that. But first I want to put you guys maybe on the hot seat since you guys have been in dual and tri-parishes. Is What have you seen with the congregations? Are they working together as a dual or tri-parish, or do they just kind of share the pastor and that's it? Do you, do you want to field that one, <laughs> yeah. or do you want me to field that one? Because <laughs> we're going to both field it the same. <laughs> it is usually just sharing the pastor it's as, it, yeah. as if they're two separate entities, and uh, the pastor mm-hmm. comes in, and even sometimes they have completely different bulletins. Uh, pastor, oh, different services, different services. Yeah. Um, um, one of the, and I think that's been one of the biggest aggravations that I've had um, <clears throat> in dual parish type of arrangements or even tri-parish types of arrangements is that um, they're like, well, we're going to work together. They say we're going to work together. We're going to, we're going to do ministry together, but there's no ministry done together. It's their ministry together is we're going to make sure that we can pay a pastor to do the work for us for both churches. Um, and, and they, they kind of function differently. In fact, I, I think there's been some hard feelings because um, in some cases you had, congregations that were smaller and couldn't pay as much. And they're like, well, we would like to get bigger. So we need the pastor more because there's things we could do. But the one that was bigger paying more said, no, we get more time because we're, we're paying more of the bill. So there was this, uh, I felt an unequal yoking mm-hmm. between the congregations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. uh, when I first served out in, in eastern Montana where we had three congregations that were six, each of them were 60 miles apart. And it was like serving three completely different congregations. So there wasn't, your initial question was the, the shared ministry. There really wasn't a shared ministry other than the pastor. Right. And that's kind of what I thought. And that's why I think a multi-site, a merger is a better way to go just because you can utilize everyone's, uh, input, both from the pastor and then the rest of the members. You know, Dave, you mentioned before uh, the addition problem from the book Better Together, you know, one plus one equals three. And I think when you have a dual parish, it's one plus one equals one, because the only thing the two congregations are sharing is the pastor. They don't share their ministry. Uh, 
a few months ago, I returned a call that I had up into western Wisconsin. And I called and talked to the president, returned the call. And then five minutes later, the president called me back. And he said, well, now that you return the call, I want to bounce this off of you. And he said, during the call, uh, he had two smaller congregations that were a dual parish in that area. And they were having difficulty filling their call. And so they had reached out to this congregation to become a tri-parish. And he wanted to know what my opinion was on that. I said, well, if it would be a multi-site where you have two or three congregations that are working together, and then you're able to afford two pastors to uh, minister to the people at three sites, or maybe you close one site, whatever, but you can actually do more ministry, you multiply your ministry that way. But I said, but if they want to become a tri-parish, I said, my viewpoint, both as a pastor and I also serve as the Southeast Wisconsin District Mission Board Chairman, I said, I wouldn't have anything to do with it because all you're going to do is suck the the life out of your pastor because now he has to go to three council meetings. He has three different ways of doing things, and no one's working together on things. But if they're willing to, a big part of multi-site and merger ministry is everyone humbles themselves to, for the good of the kingdom. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that becomes one of the big, maybe teaching hurdles that, that you have, um, in this type of, a, or in a multi-site arrangement <clears throat> is because we are by nature, our sinful nature or, or however you want to say it, we are so set on my congregation and this is my, <clears throat> you know, I have to do this. This, this has to be ours. Um, that type of a, a setup and, and to change that mindset, especially for, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle any of the, the older generation, but you know, it, it's a mindset that they really have to try to get out of because they're not thinking per, predominantly, they're not thinking greater Christendom. They're thinking Christendom in my area of the world. And this is where my congregation is. And this is how my congregation has always been. And, and we're going to lose autonomy and we're going to be forgotten. And there's this fear and I think kind of snowballs. And so, um, trying to overcome that hurdle has got to be tremendous. Right. And I think of, so down here, uh, we do a lot of shared ministry that our congregation for over 50 years have been working with First Evangelical downtown that we share jointly, Wisconsin Lutheran School or WLS. And few uh, last month we had an accreditation team come in, and the head of that team talked to me privately as he was doing with all the pastors and teachers, and he asked what the relationship was between the two churches with the school. And I said, well, we walk together, but we don't really work together. And he said, yeah, I kind of picked up on that. He had talked to other people, and he, he phrased it this way. He said, well, the school is kind of like the loved child between two divorced parents. And I said, oh, I like that. So we're the loved child of two divorced parents. He said, no, that D is very important. It's a loved child, <laughs> not love child. Uh but but that's the key of two churches that uh, walk uh, we we walk together. We our members love each other. The pastors love and 
and love each other. And we do catechism class together. We have different ministries of youth group and other things together, but we really don't work together. And so, you know, the outside world, it seems weird that we did not merge with First Evan. Instead, we merged with another smaller congregation. And it's just because uh, the two churches didn't see eye to eye on ways to do ministry. And so yet we, we walk together instead of work together. And I think that's what happens oftentimes in dual and tri-parishes. So, so maybe um, you could walk us through or, or at least open up the conversation. What types of mergers um, are there available to congregations? Because you, you're you're talking about different mergers, you 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 kind of brought them up in in what you just said. So maybe walk us through your perception of what the choices are. Yeah. So uh, just to give a little background to your listeners is even though it may be different of you know hearing about this, you mentioned that before. Will is you know two percent of Protestant churches merge annually. That's 6,000 congregations, and another 5% uh, talk about it annually. So that's about 15,000 churches. And it is something that's been happening more often in our Wisconsin Synod. Uh, Just south of us in Kenosha in 2021, the same time that we merged, uh, the four congregations in Kenosha merged to become one church, and two schools merged to become one uh, out in Juno, Monroe, Verona, uh, Adams Friendship, uh, Mequon, uh, Juno. So there's a number of different places. West Allis, three churches there have all merged. Those are the ones I know of because they're close to me. Uh, and then, yeah, different types of mergers. You might have a rebirth merger. So that's kind of a struggling or dying church that gets a second life by connecting themselves to a stronger, healthier, vibrant church. Uh, Then there's the adoption merger. That's where you have a stable or stuck church that's integrated into, again, a stronger, vibrant church, taking on the, the mindset and the characteristics, the DNA of that larger church. You've got a, a marriage merger. That's where you have like two equals, like a husband and wife coming together and then there's the intensive care unit one, the ICU, and that's where you've got two or three congregations that are on life support coming together, and those rarely work. For us down here, so we merged Epiphany, which had been around about 93 years, and New Hope, which is up in Caledonia. They've been around about 45 years. And as I was reviewing this for you guys, I was thinking that we – I had actually written down that this was an adoption merger, that Epiphany was the bigger, stronger, healthier church, and it may have been, and yet now two years into the merger, I would describe us as a as a marriage merger. Uh, we are we are equals, and and that's why when we merged, they did not become Epiphany Lutheran Church. We gave up both names and to become something new to show, just like in marriage. We're becoming a new body. So, <clears throat> why would you why would you say that they're equal? Yeah, why why would I say they're equal? Just because of the amount of talent in both churches, even though 
Epiphany was much larger, and we tried to be very cognizant when we filled our elders and council positions uh, to have representation from both congregations in this new congregation. Epiphany was just much larger. Uh, but but now two years in, we don't have the people saying, well, we need to have this stuff at this campus or this stuff at that campus uh, because we've kind of worked that out that first year. Our leaders kind of describe it as a marriage also in that just like in a marriage, two people have been separate for, say, 25 years and now coming together for the first time. That first year is kind of hard as you learn to grow together. And with a congregation that's been around for nine decades and another one that's been around for five decades, there's some growing pains that first year. So would you would you say that that maybe when you first started with the with one congregation being bigger the other being smaller that <clears throat> the smaller congregation started out as an adoption but then grew and and it like maybe morphed mm-hmm. or or was it yeah, always that way I think I think it was always that way but I just viewed it differently mm-hmm. and uh, but but yeah we are blessed that we have a lot of talented people I guess another way maybe this can get into maybe one of the blessings of a merged church is, so you guys were saying with a dual parish, they didn't really, well, did they come together to work on any kind of projects or are they really two separate entities? It all depends. Like when I first got here, it was two congregations and I asked what, do you have bi-parish meetings? I mean, do you do ministry stuff together? And no, that didn't happen. When I was in Montana with the three congregations, they did do uh, congregations get together. They did, and any kind of ministry, it was different. Kind of a different situation because it was sixty miles apart. So, what could they? What ministry could they really do together? They did do combined worship services once. You know, a, a church picnic was rotated between the the two congregations because there were two larger congregations and one smaller one that they that the other that the two felt was their mission uh, that they were uh, doing outreach to the third. Um, but anyway, that's that's my okay. experience. Will? Yeah, I unfortunately my dual parish experiences all come from areas where you had longer distances to travel, and so I don't know if they could have. Uh, there was proposals on what we could do to make it more of a multi-site um, and and things, but the congregations really felt as if they were on their own. And they were, they were just sharing. And then they would try to do things together, like they would have a reformation service or things. Um, and whoever was hosting it, of course, had the most people. And then you maybe had one or two from, from the other congregations that were a part of it. Um, it, one of the things I think that, you know, in, in your situation, when you're in a town or even in a lot of the, the spots here in Wisconsin, you can have a multi-site relatively easy. And I use that in a very, loose term um but like you know out in in the um, montana district or out in the nebraska district or some of the outliers out there when you're dealing with um almost an hour travel uh or more um it does make i think mergers different um you you can't have the joint councils you can't have the the some of the things that that we would be talking about here and what are working for you Apparently, um, two years in, almost on your third. Um, I know one of the things that was discussed when, when we were out in, in the Nebraska area and in the circuit that I was at, we were discussing 
what would it look like? Cause we had four congregations all in a row and they were miles apart. I mean, it wasn't like real quick, but what would it have looked like if all four had become a multi-site and they just, they called two pastors and then one weekend they just hit, you know, down the road, one would preach, the other one would do liturgy. They just keep going down the road and, and then you were done for the day. Um, <laughs> and then the next Sunday they would switch, you know, and then when the, when the pastor had off, then the one pastor did all four on that one weekend, which would not be normal. Um, done on the back of a pastor. Yeah, but that was the, that right. was the best they could come up with. But I think a lot of it, a lot of it, when you were talking about the different types of why people merge, it was, it, a lot of why they were talking about that and why those conversations were happening because it was the cancer. The, the congregations were getting to a point where they couldn't handle their own. And, and so they had to do something. And this was the, this was the possible something. They didn't like it. How, how far <laughs> apart are your two congregations in your multi-site, Mike? Yeah. So that's the distances thing. You know, like when I was pastored down in Kentucky in a mission church, we thought nothing of driving an hour. And here for people to go, I have to go to the the north side or to, you know, it's like six miles, um, nine miles. (laughs) That's over the five that we were commenting, right? Six was the, yeah, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. And you know, just for our people to get into that that mindset of, hey, I can go to either campus. Uh, the the reason I was asking about the shared ministry between a dual parish is <clears throat> one of the blessings I saw this spring was at our Caledonia campus. You know, they had six ash trees that were dead and needed to come down. Because one of the blessings of the merger is that uh, at our Racine campus. For whatever reason, God decided that's a good place we're going to start growing. And we we could have used a second pastor, but we couldn't afford a second pastor because we've got the school and all the the faculty and everything having to do with that. Uh, The other church, New Hope, on the north side in Caledonia, for their 50 years of existence, they only had their own pastor for eight of those years. They always had a, a dual parish where they shared a pastor or a vacancy pastor. So they could only afford like 75% of a pastor. So this way we could have two pastors uh, for the two sites instead of just one. So better together. And that's that multiplying of one plus one plus one equals three. But what we saw with the ash trees is if it was on the Caledonia campus, because they've got six acres of grass, our Racine campus, we've got the school, we have no grass. It takes us five minutes to cut the lawn. Uh, But up there, uh, with those six acres and those trees, if it was if it would have been New Hope, they would have had the same four guys cutting the trees down, just like they always would have. But with the merge, oh, except for one of our guys that just likes climbing trees and cutting them down. But with the merger, because we're all in one, now we had 12 families, not just 12 guys, but the teenagers and so forth came out because that's everyone's congregation. And Again, those same four guys were getting burned out, cutting the grass all the time. But, you know, our dads at the Racine campus said, hey, I want to teach my kid, you know, how awesome it is to be a man and drive a a zero-turn lawnmower at full speed. (laughs) You know, but, but those are the things that happen 
because we're all in as opposed to, well, that's their church. Let them do that. And uh, one of the congregations I had talked to that is multi-site that's farther away, like 45 minutes, what they talked about was the one congregation is more blue-collar workers. The other one had more of the white-collar workers. And when they needed people to do stuff, well, the blue-collar workers showed up at the other site to do the work. When they needed, you know, things with a budget and so forth, and the white-collar workers bought in. Even though they're farther apart, it's all in. How, so, how close are they again? I, I missed that the first time. Uh, though our congregation is about six miles apart. The one I was just talking about was 45 minutes. That's Monroe and Verona. Okay. So <clears throat> in, you have two pastors that work on the campus, right? If I if I heard What's you, that? you have two pastors that work on the campus? Uh, boy, I would, I would love that. We've been calling for two years for a second pastor. You're, you're attempting to try to get a second pastor. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I've been doing the multi-site by myself for two years. Well, I, I guess that leads me to, to kind of a question in, in just, I guess, basic structure. Um, when God willing, you, you have someone who receives that call and accepts that call, um, by the spirit to, to come and do that work. How is that going to look? I guess in my head, I just, and, and maybe I'm not being as, as gracious as I should be, but in my head, I keep thinking that is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> when you have, you have a, a multi-site and you have two pastors, you know, you're going to have one site going to say, that's my pastor. The other site's going to say, that's my pastor. How, how are you planning ahead in this to, sure. to try to circumvent those tendencies that we all have that say, yep. you know, he spends most of his time here. He's, he's my pastor. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so some congregations that are further apart would be like Monroe and Verona or uh, Adam's friendship in Boston. They have, since they're farther apart, say about 20 to 25 minutes in Boston and Adam's friendship and 45 minutes in Monroe and Verona there they have a congregation uh, or they have a campus pastor that he's always there. So the face of the congregation. And so you can see your people, your people see you. Uh, but for us, the, what we did uh, and we've been doing this now for two years is I, uh, I go back and forth. I'm at the Racine campus, say, last you know, two Sundays ago, I preached on Saints Triumphant and did the Bible study and worship service. And then this past Sunday, I did the same service, Bible study and worship service at the Caledonia campus. And then uh, we've, we had a seminary student, and then he did Last Judgment in Caledonia, and then the next week he did it in Racine. Uh, so the way we wrote it that way is so to counteract what you were talking about, Will, is, well, if I would have stayed in Racine and we would have had another guy in Caledonia, it would have been, we're just playing at one church, not really one church. This way, you know, they know we're all in because they're seeing me every week. The difficulty is they're only seeing me every other week and I'm only seeing the people every other week. So there's no perfect way of doing it well and that's and and i guess that that maybe is the is the rub and i i guess being a multi-site is is it better to ha better to have it 
where, okay, you get a pastor every other week if you can find someone who could, who can serve there. Or is it better to say we're a multi-site and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be at these sites every week and we have staggered start times so that we can get down there. And, and I guess when I envisioned a multi-site, I, you know, especially with a, a um, two pastors, uh, associates working together, I guess I always envisioned, um, this week I'm preaching and my partner is doing liturgy and we hop in the car and we drive down together to the next place and he'll do liturgy and I preach and the next week and I'll do the liturgy and he preaches. And when we're present in this, you know, the first, the fall quarter of Bible study, Hey, you're teaching and, and I'm sitting in class with you, um, you know, learning at your feet. And, and then in the winter quarter, I'm, I'm teaching and you're sitting there learning at my feet and we're, we're really, I guess that was my, and maybe it's wishful thinking on my part, but when I was thinking multi-site, I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's how you tell your congregations. We are, there is not one pastor over another pastor. We are splitting everything and we're sharing in everything. And you get to see both pastors every weekend, like everyone else. Um, yeah, we have some timing things we got to work out, but, um, we're going to go back and forth. Yeah. We just talked about this last month at our council meeting. I said, you know, we really could stagger our worship times uh, so that uh, we could cut, cut a worship time out or do a Saturday night. And so I could go back and forth uh, to do three services in a weekend or in a day. I said, except that that feels like we're just kind of giving up, you know, that, uh, and they agreed, meaning that we could do it, but then there's no reason for that second pastor. And so by, by putting this in front of our people all the time, uh, that they're not, that they're getting a guest preacher every other week is, uh, to say, Hey, we're, we're working to do this so that we have, it's better together. Uh, and the way we wrote it up too, Will, and is that, uh, so like this last week I, I preached and then I'll write a new sermon. And, but then the following week when I've, when I have that sermon and Bible study already prepared, now I have time to do all the other little things, the administration, shut-in visits, outreach visits, and all those kind of things you don't always have time to do if you're putting 20 hours into the the sermon prep and Bible study prep. So I, I guess I'm trying to follow what, what's going on, and, and maybe I'm, I'm missing something in the loop. Mm-hmm. So you, you'll prepare um, – Saints Triumphant, you, you prepared a sermon for Saints Triumphant. You gave it at one of the congregations on Saints Triumphant. The other congregation got whatever the seminary last student, judgment. last judgment. Yep, so last the, what, judgment. what the seminary student prepared. And then I'm guessing the weekend after you both switched. Correct. So, so one congregation is either uh, ahead or behind. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Caledonia campus is always behind unless we have a festival service like this last Sunday of the month of or the last Sunday of the church year, Reformation, Easter, and so forth. And so and, then the, and what we, Oh, good. I was just going to say, so then the plan is when, when another pastor comes that, that every Sunday, I, one pastor will be there. It just won't be the same pastor. So you're, you're correct. Okay. Now, yeah. is that going to, is that going to affect any of the continuity between Bible studies? Uh, no, because what we've been doing for our Bible studies is, uh, I've been writing worship helps for the past year. The people kind of ask for the, that 
scripture lessons, Bible study. So, but with our podcast for the Thirsty Network, they they learned, hey, if I listen to it on Saturday morning, I know all the answers for Sunday morning. Uh, okay. I, no, that just it's it's um very fascinating to me how how your congregations um your congregation because they're not two congregations your congregation are are arranging themselves I think that's a, a just a fascinating um look at and seeing how the Lord is going to work there and and make that thing happen yeah and what we and you talked about this with the farther distances say with Montana and so forth. Uh, you know, maybe they're able to do this too to be able to join ministries because they're so far apart for council meetings and so forth. Even as close as we are, uh, for all of our meetings, we'll we'll rotate them so they'll be at the Racine campus one week. And the next time we do a call meeting or a voters meeting, it's at the Caledonia campus. But we just instituted this with our church council: is that we're only meeting face to face four times a year. Uh, like tonight we'll be, we'll do a zoom meeting and, and the same thing with our elders face to face once a month via zoom the other two months. And then the face to face is, uh, you know, a longer in depth planning meeting. And then the other two that are zoom meetings are more the action items that are, were done in an hour or less. So those are opportunities for those congregations that are farther apart to be able to use the technology that we have to be united in one ministry. So you have one council for both campuses, one elder group for both campuses, one evangelism group for both campuses, Mm -hmm. one budget for both campuses, one budget, one shot in one shut in list. One shut in list. Yeah. 20, 20 shut ins. Uh, One, but so one of the things is that you have that, one clearinghouse, so we have one uh, one office manager, one president, and so forth. Trustees, we have a lot of those guys, but then you have those that kind of oversee both campuses. Uh, and, and I remember one of the guys, as we were going through the merger, they said, well, we can always just write it in there that if this doesn't work, we can always go back to Epiphany New Hope. Oh, and everyone said, nope. <laughs> We're, you can't, it's like, uh, having a prenup in your marriage. You know, that's an easy way out. You and I have done counseling before for marriage. And as soon as they, you say the word, the big D word, they say divorce, you know, there's problems. And so there's no out. It was a lot of, it was a lot of work changing the names of, uh, and the bank accounts and so forth. It would have been much easier if we had stayed Epiphany or stayed New Hope then to become water of life. But uh, all that all that effort, it took almost a year or so all the legal stuff to get taken care of. No one, none of our leaders ever want to go back and have to write a new constitution and bylaws and you know, church ID number and all that stuff. Was the budget the most common objection to the merger or was it something else, the, the unified budget? I don't think it was all that difficult to put it together, but I am not a numbers guy. Okay. So like um, people objecting to having one budget, one council, was that the most no. common objection? No. Okay. What was the most common objection? I think the most common objection was the name change. And for us, I think everyone loves their church's name and so forth. But uh, for us, that New Hope, uh, 
there were only two new hopes in the Wisconsin Synod, and there was only one epiphany in the Wisconsin Synod. And so the people love the name epiphany. And I said, I, I love the name epiphany too, but uh, we just talked about this last week in Bible study with the scripture reading being from Revelation 21 about the water of life, which is one of the key verses we use for the name of our church. I said, it's easy to describe to visitors what water of life is. You guys can't describe what an epiphany is. Uh, so giving up that name, because we still have some people that will write their checks out to the church, water of life, and then in parentheses, write down epiphany. But they're, I know they're joking. Uh, is that uh, the epiphany campus? But That's the epiphany campus. I haven't seen it with the New Hope people. Uh, but so, I think it's, I, th- I think part of it, some of the hard things is, yeah, you lose the name, uh, the facilities. You might think you're losing your heritage. Um, some people might think that, you know, we, this was a discussion we had last year with Lent of people talking about how and making sure that there's enough things on both campuses. And so, like I said, we try and really work hard to say, all right, the Racine campus as a bigger sanctuary, we have uh, everything is kind of closer to us. We have we have all this, the kids. We happen to have all the teenagers at this campus. But the Caledonia campus is much cozier; only seats a hundred people. We have anything outdoor we're doing up there, and it came up with Lent. I really was pushing for after COVID that the Lenten suppers getting together on one campus and having a supper for everyone together so they can see and talk to each other kind of for the first time was really important. But I got outvoted in our worship committee meetings when we were planning it. They wanted to have 4.30 services in Racine and 6.30 in Caledonia. And although I didn't like it, uh, that's what what we did for Lent. We'll do it again in two weeks for uh, Thanksgiving Eve and Advent and so forth. And, well, this is where the part the pastor has to be humble and said, "Ah, oh, the people were smarter, and it really worked out works out well. I was just talking to a young couple last night, and they've never been to the Caledonia campus. They've been here for a year, and now they're excited to go to the Caledonia campus for that later service for the first time so and then the people from Caledonia come to Racine campus for that earlier service because that's a service for parents with younger kids and the older people that don't like to drive when it's dark. And it forces us since we're so close to be able to worship at each other's campus to say we're all in. So I, I guess maybe <clears throat> looking at, at, you know, human nature and, and some of the struggles that you went through with the changing of the name and the, and those hurdles, when it all boils out, <laughs> This is, I'm not exactly sure how to phrase this right without sounding crass. Was, um, was there any attrition that took place? Um, mm-hmm. where people are like, I absolutely not. I, this is not what I wanted. And yeah, do what you're going to do, but I'm gone. I'm, I'm packing yeah. up my toys and going home. There was talk about that of whether there would be. And I said, no. I, I don't think so. Uh, we're all in. So when we took the vote at our joint reformation service two years ago, we made sure that everyone had to be all in. It had to be a 75% percentage of the congregation. So we were all in. Uh, 
I don't think we've lost anyone because of the merger. This last year has been tough. We just happen to have a lot of people uh, transfer to other nearby churches because they've they've moved, but that would have happened no matter what. And actually, the merger has helped because people haven't really noticed if it would have just been one church or another, it'd be doom and gloom for Epiphany. If it was just New Hope, that would have been, they would have had to close the doors because they wouldn't have anyone left. But because God blessed us at the right time to come together, people really, they've noticed people aren't here, but again, those people haven't left because of the merger. So, so from what I'm hearing, and, and maybe you can give us a little light on this before we, we move on to some other blessings that come from it. Mm-hmm. Um, have you noticed, um, like an evening, an evening out of membership between the two campuses? Or is is one campus still pretty much the people who were a part of that church um, originally? They they just continue to keep going. They don't really migrate back and forth, and the ones from Epiphany don't really migrate back and you know what I mean? Yeah, because of the setup of what we have for worship services, uh, they don't go back and forth too often between the two campuses. Uh, on Sunday, I noticed that there were a couple of people that usually worship in Racine that traveled to Caledonia, which is great. But I know the one family, uh, they had heard the service and sermon the week before. Now, they didn't mind it because you know, the pastor's sermon was that good. And so they were edified <laughs> twice. But most times, uh, they, they're, they're going to stay at one place just because of that. I, I don't have groupies following me around too often. Um, but some of the people that had traditionally worshipped at Racine, at Epiphany, you know, they, they live closer to Caledonia, so they made that their home campus. Uh, some of some of the people that lived uh, a mile south of the Racine campus, but they had originally belonged to New Hope, and they just stayed up there, drove past Epiphany to get to New Hope. Then they made the Racine campus their church because it's only a mile away. And then some people that live in the middle, They'll they'll go for two Sundays at one campus and then the two Sundays at the other campus. And so that helps show the buy-in. But again, I don't know if you can do that when you're farther apart than the six miles that we're apart. So what you're saying is that there was the only kind of evening out happened right away, but not since then. Yeah. And God's blessed us with some growth. Uh, this Sunday we've got adult confirmands that they've only worshipped at the Racine campus once. They came to the Caledonia campus because it's a mile away and, uh, you know, had their baptism of their two-year-old last month and now the adult confirmation this week. And so uh, one of the things we try and do too, and we haven't been really good at this, but we have to get better, is when you have a multi-site, you have to communicate twice as much. And we probably haven't done that as much as we could have, but we do try and put out several emails during the week. Uh, texting, our, we're trying to get our elders back and and promoting this stuff, but uh, doing things on social media so that uh, even though the Racine people won't see Scott and Rebecca actually being confirmed this Sunday, they'll see it in an email and on Facebook, and then they can rejoice that they have more saints in God's kingdom through our church. Would you say that communication really makes the difference in a successful merger, yeah. or would there be something else? Yeah, uh, communication. So we did. We started our merger discussion in 
March of 2020. So it happened to be like the the Wednesday night of Lent just before COVID hit and the world shut down through November uh, that Reformation service. And then we were meeting, uh, especially those last uh, four to five months, every other week we were having an open forum. And the way we did it is we had people from every congregation from both churches, uh, from our young people like uh, college students, like my daughter and her friend, uh, one from each church, uh, they were on like the discipleship committee. And then we had outreach committee and stewardship and so forth, all working together uh, already prior to merging so that they got to know each other. And we had all of the ministries planned out what it would look like once we merged. And so, uh, and then, like I said, we had open forums at least once a month, if not every other week, just to be able to have the committees give their presentations of what we're doing. And then we recorded it, put it on YouTube, emailed it out and so forth. So, so, I mean, you are, I mean, I hate to call it an experiment, but it's, it's two years into the merger um, and you're still working out some of the kinks, um, Mm -hmm. but by and large, you would say that the congregation, I mean, you've used the term all in a lot. <laughs> I didn't count them all. Um, but, uh, I <laughs> could have been a drinking game. <laughs> Go back and listen to Talk this. About communication, right? <laughs> you communicate twice as often and then you communicate some more. Yeah. Go back until you you're blue in the face yeah. and then you do it 27 more times. Yeah, go back and make that a drinking game. Um. Yeah, you can't just say, because we're pastors, you can't just say, it's in the bulletin. Um, but it, I, I guess my, the, the thing that's making my brain turn is, you know, we're up in the northern, we're approaching the northern woods here, um, and we have rural congregations, and rural congregations, like all congregations, are suffering um, with the change in climate and the change in church uh, attendance and, and the like. Um, but you see it in smaller congregations, maybe more impactfully than you would in a bigger one because you don't have a lot of people to draw from to begin with. Um, and so I'm, my wheels are kind of turning two years into it, general satisfaction between the campuses. What would you, what, if you were going to not leadership, I meant, I, I mean, just general satisfaction um, of the people. What would you say? I I think the people I think the people would be happier if we had those two pastors. I had one member say to me, an older one, uh, actually she was a recent convert from about three or four years ago. And she said, "Well, pastor, it just doesn't seem like you're our pastor anymore." And I said, "Well, but even if we had two pastors, you'd only see me half the time." Uh, and we've been getting a lot of guest pastors and seminary students come in to preach. And I thought that the people would get tired of it, but they like uh, seeing a new face all the time instead of hearing me for 16, 17 straight years. But other than that, I think that they, they've kind of enjoyed uh, the merger in that, you know, they do, we do get together at, you know, try and go to other activities. Even that same lady that writes, uh, epiphany in parentheses on her check to water of life. Her husband, he wears his water of life shirt to, to Bible study. I told her at her funeral, I'm going to bury her in a, a water of life shirt because she's dead. She won't know the difference. Uh, but she comes up with epiphany in the parentheses. Have... <laughs> there you go. Uh, 
but she's enjoyed having a good Friday service up at the Caledonia campus. And uh, oh, that, that was the first time we did the Easter vigil at that campus, and it worked better because it's a smaller sanctuary for a smaller service. And she says this is really nice. So those kind of those kind of benefits. Uh, and I'm thinking of the Northwoods where you guys are too. Is instead, of, I think a lot of times a phrase I use is that a lot of our members, whether it's in this area or again, I serve and the Southeast Wisconsin District Mission Board is that we protect our fiefdom. You know, we protect this little castle, that's our church. And then we forget about the larger kingdom aspect. And that's one of the things, you know, I've been grumpy with losing members, transferring to other churches, and and getting then getting talked to by other pastors reminding me it's about kingdom work. And that's what I need to remember too is, hey, I didn't lose them to God's uh, Somewhere, I just I didn't lose them from God's kingdom. I just lost them from this portion, my own fiefdom, and I had to preach my own things to myself. Uh, and for for the guys say up north is to say, hey, let's go. You know, let's talk about merger. Let's talk about multi sites. What can we do better together than we're doing separately? That was a big thing that we we talked about. You know, why do we want to merge? We didn't want to merge just to survive. And I think that's what happens with dual parishes, just trying to survive. Yeah, I see. We were trying to find a way. Yeah, we were trying to find a way to not survive, but to thrive, to do something better together than we were separately. Because let's be honest, all of us, we all do pretty much exactly the same thing on a Sunday morning. Bible study, worship, teen Bible study. Oh, some of us do it better. All that kind of stuff. Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) But then you can learn from each other. So if uh, two congregations are thinking of, merge, of merging, what are some questions you would ask each congregation? I, th- I think you were saying, it's just, how is this going to help us to thrive? How are we going to help build the kingdom? But what would be some other questions you might ask of congregations uh, that think, are thinking of merging? Yeah, um, I think if you're talking about it is why merge now? Uh, do we merge what we want to or do we merge because we have to? Uh, you know, do we merge be- during a position of strength or do we do it? Well, now we don't have any other choice. And so it's a merger because of weakness. And then like we talked about the math problems a few times, do we merge while we can multiply our ministry? So one plus one equals three, or do we wait so long that one plus one equals one or zero? So those would be a couple or of questions. Zero. Yeah, yeah. Or zero. <laughs> I mean, I think of a retired pastor that said this to me a number of years ago. He said, you know, you know, Mike, we're doing pretty well in our church. And I looked out at his at his church, the members and the kids in the service and, and so forth. And you know, they're hurting with all of their ministries, but they happen to have a lot of money in the bank. And I think that's the situation of a lot of our smaller churches they're, they're healthy money wise because they've, they've got older members that can keep things going for a long time. They have bequests and so forth, but they're not really doing a lot of the ministry, the outreach ministry that was mentioned before, the kingdom work ministry. That besides, you know, that we definitely need to take care of our members. That's a wonderful thing. We need to do that, but we also need to reach out to those who aren't members to Lord willing make them members. Yeah, and that was my major selling point when uh, Green. I was talking with the Greenleaf congregation since 2019. Of you, you can have you can survive for 10 plus years, but is this 
is this good for the kingdom? Are we actually going to do the work of reaching out in the Greenleaf area? Or can we look at what we've been given and say, hey, there's a congregation three miles down the road that's trying to build a new church and a school that's all one level, um, and you guys have 12 steps to go up to to come here. Can we, for the good of the stewardship of the the greater kingdom of God, uh, Say say goodbye to this this institution that's here, but also say hello to the opportunities that are ahead of them. I think another good question would be: Are you open to change? I mean, maybe some of these smaller congregations, these struggling ones, are. Hey, we, yeah, we definitely want to grow, Pastor, but we don't want to do anything differently that'll <laughs> cause us to grow. Well, oh, you mean we have to like you know do other things other than come to church on Sunday? Well, yeah. but I mean, isn't isn't that <laughs> We laugh at that and we say, well, you know, you have to be open to change. You got to be open to not doing the same thing over and over again to, but we all do the same things over and over again. I mean, that, that's really a hurdle that even a pastor has to get over. I mean, we get into, you had made mention, you know, the congregation is enjoying having other people preach because they don't want to hear me for just my voice for the, you know, last 16 years. Uh, um, but I think there's that reality. We, when, when a congregation grows, and gets to the point where they move away from that mission congregation size. They, they kind it becomes an entity unto itself and it becomes habit and it becomes, um, there, there are certain things that are, are just a part of that congregation in that area. And, and I don't necessarily think those are bad things, but I think they become bad things when it, it becomes so, ingrained in them that we have to have it that we can't do anything else or move anywhere else or or go to anything else and i think that's would be the problem i mean you know i'm just i'm not saying it's happening but you know how congregations are getting in our area right here you know if there was a some type of a multi-site that happened um between shirley and gibson and maribel or denmark you know you have a multi-site with all those congregations that are kind of right in that area the biggest challenge would be the traditions of each of the congregations and those traditions aren't necessarily bad. It's just that those would be the, the, the hurdles that you have to get over because they're going to have traditions of, we do it this way. And, and can we still hold on to some? Yes. Do we have to have every? No. Which ones do you give up? I'm not sure, <laughs> but, but you know, it comes back to humility, isn't it? Of yeah. What's best for the kingdom of God and what is the preference of mine? Right, but but it also right. comes back down to teaching too, because you know you have a shut in and you go and you visit a shut in and you can rely on those traditions and they can pick up those things and they can share with you. Well, this is what we used to do. This is still a part of my church, and they're connected to that because that tradition is there. Um, and that that there's a reason there's a reason why the the Lutheran Church preserves the historical liturgy. That we we follow a liturgy at all because there's a tradition there of uniting us as opposed to just doing things willy nilly. Um, so I mean, tradition isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it is. It can become a hang up if we're right. not humble enough to say, "What can we keep? What what do we have to move on from?" Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I would put it this way: of what can we change, what cannot change, and what must change. And maybe when you have a congregation that is losing members, you know, members are dying off and so forth, and going on to church triumphant, 
instead of woe is me and looking at victimhood, victimhood status is maybe look at it. Hey, look at now we've trimmed some things and what else can we trim? And now instead of we're older dying congregation say, oh, you know what? We're, we're a mission congregation. We're, we're a small, uh, battle ready force. You know, these a big, big church, there's a lot of people, but it moves very slowly. Like, like a big army force. But when you're a small congregation and my first church uh, 26 years ago was in Radcliffe, Kentucky, next to Fort Knox, we started with 15 members and we moved fast. It was very mobile. We didn't, we couldn't do a whole lot like a big church, but we can move things very quickly. And so maybe the mindset has to change for a congregation. It was, instead of woe is me, is, hey, look at what God allowed us, is allowing us to do. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, and that, I guess that brings us, um, maybe to a question. And I know it was one that, that I can't take credit for thinking of. Um, but we have been talking about, you know, maybe when you're in a position of strength within the congregation, things seem healthy and stable. That's the time to start thinking ahead for merger. What would the opposite be where you would back away and say, no, we, we, we can't go through with something like this, or we shouldn't be thinking of something like this. I think that that what I said before about if we're not willing to change, if we're not even willing to change the name, then we're not ready. If we're not willing to give up ownership of the way we do things, uh, then, then we're not ready. And then you have to keep the discussion going. And sometimes what needs to happen is the pastor needs to change. The leadership needs to change. Uh, and for those things to. So I'm hearing vacancy. About. That's the, so. It can be. Because <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you have the need. You have to be a need. And then, sure. then you see the change. Sure. What do you got? Anything else? Um, uh, yeah, because I, I know I, I talked with I talked with one pastor one time that talking about merger. He said, "Ah, oh, but we're two healthy congregations. So we, you know, it doesn't make sense to merge." <laughs> oh, that is that's kind of sad because that's probably because the best time. Church, yeah, that's probably the best time. Exactly. Neither church wants to give up anything. Whereas, yeah, you might have to have that one congregation that is struggling, not dead, but even when they're almost dead. I think of. Um, I think of a congregation near uh, Juneau, Wisconsin. I just had a call to it, to that congregation uh, about five months ago. And it happened to be that that's the congregation my father-in-law is still a member at. My my wife, Shelly, grew up in that church. And so when the pastor called me, he said, hey, Mike, uh, we're just letting you know that your father-in-law is okay. And that, we, that we've called you to be our, our outreach pastor. And they had a car, their congregation, they had about two or three year, years ago had taken on another congregation. You know, there's like 700 people in that town. The congregation was dying. They couldn't get a pastor. And then St. John's and Juno came in and said, we'll, we'll work with you and merge with you. And now the congregation, they gave everything up to St. John's and Juno. Juno people moved in and they fixed a lot of things that weren't being done in the church and they helped that small struggling congregation because that congregation said they, they humbled themselves. We need help. St. John's was that, uh, 
per, that congregation that could come in and have the manpower and money to do the help, and both congregations grew and were blessed by it. Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that it's probably not a good time for a congregation to merge when they don't when they're unwilling to give anything up. But I would say that that's just a symptom of something even greater. That even when we're the most healthy, if we are unwilling to give something out, give something up to further the ministry in a different way or to do it better or, or anything in that, that regard, there's a problem, right? That, that, that becomes that, that really is the beginning of a more serious issue that's going to be working its way out. Yeah. When Jesus says, whoever wants to yeah. follow after me, he must deny himself. He's not just talking to people who are struggling. He's talking to people <laughs> who are strong as well. <laughs> yeah. The rich young yeah. man, the rich young, the rich yeah. young man. Right. Um, and, and those congregations that are, that are stronger and healthier or even working their way toward that, you know, they should be looking at, Hey, can we help this congregation out? Or is there a mission? Is there a mission opportunity there that they're, that that congregation for whatever reason isn't utilizing with their pastor, maybe they are vacant or whatever. And then the congregation says, can we come in and help? We don't want to take over, but we want to, there's an opportunity there. And so some of those congregations, some of those things, um, you know, there's a blessing there with that bigger, healthier congregation to say, sure. uh, hey, this is a new ministry area we want to move into. Yeah, I would agree. I uh, Just thinking of the whole idea of a multi-site, I think with, if people are listening and are thinking of this seriously, they're seeing, they're coming away with the realization that this is, this isn't easy. This is difficult. Uh, could you walk us through some of those the stages of how does this how does the congregation go from two to three to one plus one equals three? Uh, yeah, I think the stages as you start start that discussion, and so uh, our congregations, you know, they met together. The uh, the pastors discussed. And so for us, you know, we pointed out that. Russ Goggins, who was part-time up at New Hope, and then he was filling a dual parish down in Kenosha. God had me serve as his, uh, oh, oh, what's it called, uh, for the seminary. Oh, pastor partners? Uh, I was, yeah, pastor partner. I was his mentor. And uh, I think I think the seminary just asked me to be a mentor because I was old and nearby. So... But God bless those conversations because we both were into shared ministries. And then we said, hey, what do we, because I remember we talked about it in our January luncheon. Hey, should we do more shared ministries between the two churches? And he said, no, because he said, if we're not going to work together, it's not going to work. And then that's when February, when we sat down, hey, what about merging? And then we brought it to the, to the leaders. And then, so yeah, the steps were the pastors talking about it. Uh, then the the leadership talking about it down in Kenosha, uh, they had they had a much bigger one with four churches of Mount Zion, Freedens, Bethany, and St. Luke's, and then two schools and a preschool, all in there. They had to discuss for like two years, but the pastors talked for a long time. Then you get the leaders together, and then when you start getting some plans together, then you start bringing. Uh, getting the people to have buy-in and dividing them up as uh, different committees and then presenting everything in open forums and so forth so that everything's on the table. And we're going to talk about stewardship, discipleship. Uh, this time we're going to talk about, you know, 
budget and trustees this, this time and so forth. And then you take it as long as you want to take it. Uh, whether it's for us, it was, you know, eight months or so for them in Kenosha was two years. And then, uh, and then we took, like I said, we took then the vote and a big part of the vote, I think for any congregation that's interested in doing this is you should know ahead of time what the vote's going to be. Uh, because if you got to the, the merger vote and then it was close, it was 75%, or it was, you know, it didn't go through, well, you didn't do your job. And now there's hard feelings and it's a, it's dead. Yeah, take appropriate polls. I think we learned that. Got to get some good polling. <clears throat> Make sure you come with all oh, your cards. Open forums. I think you said yeah. you had a lot of open forums, so you would get mm-hmm. get a good pulse of where people were at and give yeah. people an opportunity to ask their questions and to, to raise their challenges and to answer it honestly and uh, forthrightly uh, that this is for the good of the kingdom. And, yes, it requires some humility on each person's part and each congregation's part, but then it also is uh, looking toward the future. What's the great? What's the good for God's kingdom here and not – necessarily what's good for us this location but what's good for the greater kingdom of god yeah yeah and i think for us, we were we were, bl- we were blessed too that we had three people that as we were going through the gifts as we were dividing people into committees three people stood out that in their real work jobs this is what they did is they worked on communication and mergers of businesses so it was a no-brainer to put the three of them in charge of this because I had no clue what I was doing besides reading the book better together. It was, hey, this is what we want to do, and then they organized everything, and that was so beneficial. It's it's from another book, uh, you know, getting the right people on the bus, and we got the right people on the bus. You know, it, it, right in the front. It's not, not like Lutherans that want to sit in the back. We put the good people right up in the front. <laughs> but you know, it's having that, um, like you said, it's having the people, it's starting the conversation with, with pastors that are willing to, to open up the conversation to work with each other. Cause sometimes pastors don't like to work with each other. Uh, and then moving from there to getting their, their leadership on board to say, what would it look like for us to work together? And then, and moving in that direction and then having, and, and not every congregation has it, but having people who are in the business world saying, this is not an uncommon thing and we can do this and then having them in key places to, to help facilitate that. Um, I think for our listeners, it's, it's something I know we are talking about it now. We're spitballing about it now, but I, I don't all three of the pastors here. I know for a fact myself and you, of course, cause Mike, you have already done it. We've been thinking about this for more than just now. I mean, we've been thinking about these types of things since we've gotten into the ministry because we've seen the trend of what's happening, shortage of pastors, dwindling congregations. Um, we know these greater things are mobility. greater mobility. These things are happening. So we've been thinking about this, but maybe now as listeners, you're thinking, I've never been approached with this topic. Well, now's the time to think about it. You know, now's the time. It, when you're going to go into a nursing home, it's far better to volunteer to go than it is to <laughs> be forced to go and have someone take your keys. <laughs> and I'm not saying that a merger is a nursing home. <laughs> I think it's, I forget if it's uh, Tucson or Phoenix or something like that, but we have a number of our congregations there 
that is multi-site and it's kind of ring the town with a congregation. And then they have one central hub and they have multiple pastors, but one office and so forth. And so the idea is you can save a lot of money. We're only paying one bill for everything. Uh, we have one copy machine, one secretary instead of two, and just it streamlines everything. For us, we do the same worship service one Sunday and the exact same one at the next service at the next campus. But you can do things where, you know, say if uh, Racine, Racine campus, we've got a lot of talented musical people, a lot of teenagers. We could do more of a different style of worship than the Caledonia campus. And you can do that if you have certain gifts and say, hey, this campus is going to have this type of ministry. Maybe it's youth or child or music. And then this, this, this ministry is mainly what we're going to focus on at this campus. We've kind of made it, made it sort of the same, but you know, that's each congregation can have uh, something special too. Sure. I've, I'm enjoying the conversation. Yeah, what do you, thank you very much, Mike, for coming on our podcast and talking about multi-site ministry. Um, the Lord continue to bless you and your congregations there, and God continue to bless you and your podcast, and a, a Thirsty Podcast. And uh, our listeners can find it on uh, Raised with Jesus. Search for Raised with Jesus on whatever podcasting platform you use. Yeah, and thank you uh, thank again. You. So uh, hopefully the, the the grand experiment of the merger continues to be a success in the Lord and and that he finds more workers to help you out in the field. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm always excited to talk about mission work and kingdom work and mergers and multi-sites. And I'll put a plug in, just like I end our podcast, of saying, stay thirsty, my friends, and drink deeply from the water of life.